for having me back at Bromley Road, and thank you especially to Pastor Rob and the leadership for the privilege they extend to me, and I'm sure I join you in prayer that uh, Pastor Rob will be greatly refreshed in the time that he has away, and that he'll come back to you a new pastor when he comes back. Um, I brought with me some mouse repellent. Uh, I put a few of these prayer cards in the back window there. If anybody is interested in uh, praying for me and for the Ministry of African Land Mission, um, that would be a wonderful gift that you could give. Um, just to give you a little bit of information about African Land Mission, it's, it's a historic mission. It's been serving in, in the continent of Africa for 125 years. Uh, began with the vision to move from the coastal areas of East Africa into the inland. And in particular, the vision was in response to seeing the influence of Islam coming down from the north in Africa to try and begin to push back against it. And uh, as a result, you'll see that in sub-Saharan Africa, that's where the largest number of Christians live in the continent. And it's a result of that emphasis to try and reach inland with the gospel of Jesus Christ to change lives and to make a difference. And so that's, that's our, our, our background. Uh, we're actually, I'm going to give you the advertisement now, so forgive me. Um, we're actually in the middle of our annual fundraiser right now where we try and raise funds for different projects in Africa. And we're raising funds for three different uh, projects this year. Um, the first one is Hope for Hospitals. Um, if you follow the news, you know that Ethiopia has been subject to a great deal of violence and uh, uh, destruction. And one of the issues there has been hospitals that have been either near-bombed or have been so broken into that all of their equipment has been looted and stolen. And so one of our projects is to try and uh, make the hospital functional again by putting the equipment back in that's needed to begin to help uh, in the healing of, of uh, bodies and souls. And so that's the first project we're raising funds for. The second is called Field to Table. That's for Lesotho. And the desire there is as our missionaries try and teach people how to farm God's way, um, one of the things that they're discovering is that they could be greatly assisted if they had a baler for the hay that's raised as fodder for the animals, the, the cattle. And so they have a small baler in view that they'd like to be able to purchase. And if we're able to raise the funds for it, they'll be able to do that. And that will greatly assist them in Lesotho in their farming. And then finally, the last project is resources for leaders in Uganda. I was just in Kenya in June uh, visiting four Bible colleges and was impressed with the number of young people who were there seeking to grow their knowledge and discipleship so that they can become leaders in their churches and pastors and missionaries to, uh, in, in, to unreached people groups. One of the things that I discovered is that many of those who attend Bible college do so with a borrowed Bible because they don't actually have one. 
And when they graduate, they have to give their Bible back and then begin their ministry without one. And so our desire for these leaders in Uganda is to be able to provide a 100 church leaders with a study Bible and guides that they can use to go and begin their ministries. And so they're the three projects that we're working towards. Uh, in Orleans, we're doing uh, the Orleans for Africa ride in, in aid of Africa. Uh, we're going to do a 20-kilometer bike ride. So if you would like to join us, just let me know. Um, and uh, if you would like to support us, just simply go to the African Inland website, uh, African Inland Mission website. Look for Dan of Green Gables. You won't miss the picture. Um, and uh, it's easy there for you to give online towards these projects. And all of the, the money that we raise goes directly to these projects. So last year we were able to raise across the country in the neighborhood of about $36,000 for various projects to bless the people of various nations in Africa. Well, we want to turn our attention to God's Word this morning, and so as we do, let's turn to the Old Testament and to Micah chapter 7. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, it is okay to look up in the index where the book of Micah is. Nobody will shame you for looking up in the index because it's a relatively small book in the back end of the Old Testament. But we're looking at Micah chapter 7, and I'm going to read the first seven verses. Hear God's word. What misery is mine? I'm like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There's no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. No one, no one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts, the judge accepts bribes, the powerful dictate what they desire, they all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright worse than a thorn hedge. The day God visits you has come, the day your watchmen sound the alarm, now is the time of your confusion. Do not trust a neighbor, put no confidence in a friend, even with a woman who lies in your embrace. Guard the words of your lips, for a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Amen. May God bless to us this reading from his word. Let's pray together. Lord, open our eyes to see by faith. Open our ears to hear your voice speaking to us in these moments. And give us open hearts to receive the word that you want to pour into us. And may your Holy Spirit so come and breathe life into us that we may be forever changed as a result of this day in worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. Eddie Anderson is one of our missionaries who works among the Gabra people in northern Kenya um, and in the highlands of uh, southern Ethiopia. Um, 
And uh, in the middle of famine relief work that they were doing, they were doing a Bible study with some of the local evangelists one morning. And on this particular morning, they were studying Mark chapter 5, which deals with the healing of the demon-possessed man. And after the, they were looking at this passage, one of the evangelists actually looked at Eddie and said to him, does God still do that? In other words, does he still deliver people from demons? To which Eddie Anderson replied, definitely, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, and he does indeed do that. And uh, there was an interesting pause, and one of those evangelists said, there's a lady in our village like that. Well, they went on with the morning. Everybody went about their duties. And a little later that morning, there was a great commotion outside. And Eddie went out to see what was going on. And what he discovered was a, a very animated woman who was screaming at his wife. And he pulled over an interpreter and he asked what was going on. And the interpreter said, this is the lady we were talking about. And so they managed to calm her down, and they sat down with her to hear her story. And her story was basically this. Um, for six months, she had been going from village to village, haunted by demons that she felt were pursuing her. Um, she could get no relief. She'd gone to any number of different sources. She'd gone uh, to uh, witch doctors. She'd gone to the Muslims. She'd gone to others, and nobody could provide relief for her. And so not only was she hounded by demons that she'd been running from from town to town, but she also had been told by one of the ayana, that's a spirit, that if she entered her house, she would die immediately. And so for six months, she had not only not, not entered her house, she had not entered any house. And of course, they came to her, and, and, or she came to them, and uh, she came in a place of great desperation, uh, wanting some relief for what she was experiencing. And so when she was asked why she came to them, she said, because you can heal me, and I have nowhere else to go. And I want you to hear two things in that statement. One is a small statement of faith. I believe you can heal me. The bigger is the, the, the desperation that, go, that went with it. I don't know where else to turn. And what she's saying essentially is, I've exhausted all other possibilities. It's up to you. If you can't do anything for me, I'm done. And so, so, so she said, in a simple statement of faith, because you can heal me and there's no one else I can go to, here I am. And so they told her what Christ did. They showed her from the scriptures all that he had done. And then they asked her, do you want to be free? And she said, yes, that's why I'm here. And so they prayed in Jesus' name, and the, the change that took place immediately was remarkable. They said they watched her face change from a face gripped by terror to a face that was suddenly swept with peace. And then they said, you know, now that the demons are gone, 
You need to do something to fill the place where they were, lest they come back and worse befall you. And they said, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so they explained the gospel to her very clearly. She was very eager to hear it. And so as they shared the gospel with her, they asked her if she wanted to put her trust and faith. And that very moment, she prayed to receive Christ as her Savior. Well, now the issue remained of her house, a place that she had been afraid to enter for six months. And so they decided they would go together to her house. And when they got up to the house, of course, Eddie and the missionaries and evangelists expected that there would be a great deal of reluctance for her to enter, if not fear still, and yet there was no sign of that. She walked right through the door, and then they went in with her, and they prayed through the house, and then they asked her this question. They said, uh, why were you not afraid to enter the house after all you've been through? And her words were very simply this. She said, I wasn't worried. Jesus has me covered. And in that moment, you see the transformation of a life. And what an encouragement to the evangelists who had been doing the study in Mark 5 that morning to hear and see by experience that the word of God was true and powerful. But even greater is the transformation that takes place that sees a person move from the depths of darkness to the life of hope. And that was the transformation of that woman. That was the breakthrough. We've sung about breakthroughs this morning, and that was the breakthrough for her. And that's the breakthrough that Micah sees coming in the distance. And this is the message of Micah. Micah was an 8th century prophet, a contemporary with Isaiah and Amos. And his message, as you read in the first part of this chapter, was doom and gloom. He looked at a world that had turned dark. He couldn't see much that was right in Israel and Judah. And so his message, even from the beginning, is is that there are dark clouds that had rolled in over these nations, over his people. And these dark clouds had come as a result of the sin of these people, his own people. Judah and Israel had risen to the heights of economic affluence. And from the outside looking in, they looked strong and good. But Micah saw that there was rot in the bones and that the day was coming when that rot would come to fruition. In Israel and Judah, they had a growing wealthy class that was getting richer at the expense of the poorer classes. And though they looked affluent and strong, they had this rot that Micah saw. Their immoral decline, their spiritual decadence, their worship of Canaanite deities, their neglect of the, of the poor all pointed to their neglect of the covenant, which was the catch point for Micah. And as a result, he could see the impending doom that was coming for his people. He sees rot on the inside and an impending attack by the Assyrians on the outside that would mark the end of what Judah and Israel were experiencing as sunshine days in many respects. Yet in the midst of all this darkness and this gloom and doom, 
Micah gives us one of the most hopeful statements in the scripture. He says, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. And what we hear Micah saying is there is lighting for the darkness. Micah's hope outshines the moment of darkness. The times may have been dark, but he could still see the light of God in the shadows that were around him. He says, but as for me, and when I hear Micah say that, what I hear first and foremost is Micah plotting his own course. He's taking responsibility for himself. He's not speaking about what anybody else is doing or going to do. He's saying, this is the path that I'm going to take. Very reminiscent of Martin Luther in the Reformation who said, here I stand. Micah says, but as for me, he will not surrender to the gloom. He looks to the Lord and he trusts in the sovereignty of God in the midst of the shadows that have formed over his nation. He determines that he'll not walk the path of Judah and Israel are going, but he will take his stand for the Lord. He will wait for God's holy timing and will to be worked out. I want to suggest to you that there's four things to remember when we find ourselves in the midst of darkness or when we feel like the darkness is overwhelming us. And here's the first. We need always to remember that we're never out of God's view. We sometimes feel like and act like God can't see us. But the truth is very different from that. We are never out of God's view. And with that, we need to remember that we're never out of God's reach. That we're never able to empty God's strength in the midst of what we're going through. That's the third thing. And the fourth thing is that we can never exhaust God's grace. So one, we can never, we're never out of God's view. We're never out of God's reach. We can never empty God of his strength. And we can never exhaust his grace. And what that says to us is that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of trouble and strife, in the midst of suffering and pain, we can still be people of hope where the light of God is reflected through us to those who are around us. For all intents and purposes, it looked like God had left the building of Israel in Judah. But Micah says, no. I wait in hope for the Lord. Though everyone else was going in a different direction, Micah says, but as for me. And he shows the light in the darkness, but as for me, I watch in hope. Notice the patience that Micah is prepared to exercise. He says, I wait, I watch in hope. Uh, I think one of the last times I was here, I talked about the difference of the two Greek words for time that are used in the scripture. One is chronos, which is the measurement of time for which you use a watch or a clock or some other instrument of measuring time. And the other is kairos, which refers to a season in time that ripens in the timing of God. 
And one of the things that we recognize is that God doesn't look at time from our perspective. I mean, you hear Peter say one day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. That ought to be the first clue to us that God doesn't view time the way we do. But the one thing we know is that God never acts before it's the right moment. I think I've probably said this in the past too because I think I've said it just about everywhere I've ever spoken. And it's this, God's never early. He's never late. He's always on time. And you can probably give evidence of that in your own life in moments when you would have liked God to show up early. You thought he was showing up late, but he actually showed up in his perfect timing and worked out the best thing for both you and for his glory. And those two things always go together for him. And so what we see is Micah being patient. He's not looking to be the savior of Israel and Judah. He's not looking to manufacture his own solution for the woes. And he's certainly not looking to the arm of man. He's watching in hope for the Lord. He watches for what God will do. And and the word that's used for watch is to look for or wait expectantly. It's used of blind Eli in 1 Samuel 4, verse 13, where we're told that Eli is waiting, watching for word from the battle. In other words, he's expecting word any moment. And it's the same word that's used in verse 4 of the watchman that Micah refers to. A watchman observes every shifting shadow and movement and sound prepared to sound the alarm for his people. Micah says, I watch. I watch expectantly. I'm not here just passively submitting to the circumstances of my life. I believe in a God who is with me in this moment and who is about to act. He watches with expectation. And I think one of the things that Micah teaches us is that the godly person looks for every evidence of God's stirring, of God's moving, whether it's for salvation or judgment. But we watch for God. This is not a passive waiting for the fire and the smoke of God to fall down on Nineveh like Jonah was watching for. It's the act of participation by way of prayer in expecting God to act and to move. And that's why we have hope. We watch and hope. And that hope that we have is rooted in the belief that God cares for us. One of the things that the devil loves to try and convince us of when circumstances don't go the way we want them is that God doesn't care. And so you have to take care of yourself. It's a lie that goes right back to the garden. But Micah reminds us that we watch and hope because we believe that God cares for us. Does he do the circumstances we find ourselves in when they're difficult? Are they hard on us? Sure they are. But it's often in the refining fire that God does his best work in us. And so Hope is rooted in the belief that God cares. It's also rooted in the belief that God is present with us in the darkness. There's a great word from Exodus 
that describes when Moses approached the Lord on the mountain. And it says, Moses approached the darkness where God was. Most of us don't think about God being with us in the darkness. We tend to think that when we're in the darkness, God has left the building. But Moses reminds us that God is very present in the darkness with us. And hope is also rooted in the belief that God is always working and involved in our lives. At the end of the day, for Micah, there are two words that speak to his situation. God rules. The religious leaders of the day don't rule. The kings and rulers don't rule, even though they think they do. The culture doesn't rule. Those who are oppressors of the faithful, they don't rule. God rules. And at the end of the day, he will have his say. And so we believe that God is always working in our lives and in the lives of the people around us, and he's always at work in our world. But it is God who rules alone, and that belief is rooted in his word. The fourth thing that hope is rooted in is the desire for transformation that will glorify God and make a difference in lives of people. The difference between Micah and Jonah is that Jonah, when he preached to the Ninevites, actually didn't want them to repent. Now, that's a challenge, I think, to some of us in the church today who have made up our minds about some people whom we think will never repent. And Jonah, the message of Jonah, reminds us that we can't make those kinds of judgments. And so as he sits waiting for the fireworks to fall, God intervenes with mercy and a revival breaks out in Nineveh. So Micah's not Jonah. Micah looks at the circumstances he's in, and as he watches, he watches with hope for a transformation that will take place in the hearts of his people, that they will be changed. We need Micahs today. We need Micahs who will tell their story of transformation to a world that needs to hear about it. And we all have a story to tell. And we need Micahs who are watching, who are watching in prayer with hope. For many, many years, I've been praying for revival in the church in Canada in particular. My view's a little bigger than that these days. I long to see a stirring of God around the world among his people. Having been in Africa, I have seen that the church in Africa is just as much in need of revival today as is the church in Canada. Do you know that there are over 900 unreached people groups in Africa alone? 900. When I was in Kenya, in one of the Bible schools I was at, they had this board that was inside one of the entrances, which is a map of Kenya, and there were little light bulbs all over the nation. And as you pressed a people group, there were buttons down at the bottom, that people group lit up within the nation. And it highlighted that there were at least 20 different people groups in Kenya alone. 
that have never heard the gospel. The need is great, and the need is great at home. And so we pray. We pray for God to send messengers into the harvest fields. There are people who are desperate to hear the good news of Christ, but there's no one to take it to them. And that's as true in Africa as it is here. There are people who are lost, who are broken, who are searching, who need someone who will come alongside them and walk with them and share their story. And so we pray for messengers. We pray for conviction of sin because there has never been a revival in the church without conviction of sin. These days, I'm not sure anybody knows what sin is anymore. And I hate to say it, but that's even become blurry in the church. But there's never been a move of God without conviction of sin first. And as we pray for conviction of sin, let's pray for mercy for sinners. For God's desire is for sinners to be saved. And let's pray for fresh wind of the Holy Spirit in the church. So that we're not just stuck with doing the things we've always done the same old way, but that we can be so in tune with the Spirit of God that when He opens a door for us and says, I know this is different for you, and it requires change on your part, but if you walk through this door with me, you'll encounter blessing. And we need that fresh wind in the church today. Can we pray for Holy Spirit power in our preachers? Can we pray for it all to begin in me, in you? One of the things that we are as Christians is very generous. We hear the word of God and we say to ourselves, oh, if only my husband had heard that. If only my son or daughter had heard that. And yet the Word of God speaks to us, and God's intention is for us to hear it first, to let it enter our hearts, change our lives. And so we pray that revival would begin, the stirring of God would begin in our own hearts. And so Micah says, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. And the light in the darkness is him saying, I wait for God my Savior. Micah reminds us that we need to be people who wait for God to break through the darkness, to manifest his power. We sang about breakthroughs this morning. We heard about the breakthrough of the Gabra woman in Africa. Maybe you're here today and you need a breakthrough. Then maybe the rest of us who are gathered around you can wait upon the Lord and pray for that breakthrough for you, for your family, for your work, for your church. We can't create what only God can, can inspire. We can't change what can only be changed by waiting in prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. A friend once gave me this quote from the Scripture Union Notes which ought to be a great inspiration for all of us to use Scripture Union notes. Uh, I don't get any payment for that advertisement for Scripture Union, just so you know. But hear this quote from the Scripture Union notes. It says, Prayer penetrates the hearts we cannot open. 
It shields those we cannot guard. It teaches where we cannot speak and comforts where our hearts have no power to soothe. As Micah waits for God, his Savior, he reminds us to wait for God to break through. And I think as we look at Micah and his heart, we are reminded to love the bride of Christ as Micah loved his people and long for a movement of God among them. To love the lost that are around us as we wait for God to break through in their lives. To be patiently holding the ground of the relationships God has given us. Waiting for God to, that, for that moment in time that ripens in that person's life when they're ready to hear and respond. I want to suggest there's another thing that we can do in this waiting, and that is stay connected enough to Jesus that we can do ministry Jesus' way. Remember how Jesus did his ministry? He said, I only do the things I see the Father doing. And that's how we're supposed to do ministry. To say, stay so connected to him that as we see him moving, we can join him in what he's doing. Micah says, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Let me give you five characteristics of the hopeful. The first characteristic is this, and you probably have guessed it by now. The hopeful expectantly wait and pray for God to break through. I think as Christians... We have an advantage because we believe there's no darkness so deep that God's light can't penetrate it. There's no chain so strong that the love of Jesus can't break them. And so we wait and we pray expectantly. I think another characteristic of the hopeful is that they keep their heads when everybody around them is losing theirs. And it, it, it is easy to lose your head when everybody around you is losing theirs. When the chaos begins to swirl, it's very easy to get caught up in it. It's much more difficult to step out of it and say, hold on a second. Let me just take a moment and see if what I'm seeing is actually what I'm seeing or if there's another perspective that's broader. And one of the things that Micah reminds us about is having that broader perspective of what God is doing, not just for his own nation, but Micah had a global perspective enough that he could see that there was an enemy, another nation nearby that was about to impact his nation. And so he was aware of what was happening in his world. He wasn't just fixated on the problems of Judah and Israel. And I think one of the characteristics of the hopeful is that we do keep our heads. We're able to back up and get perspective. Why? Because we have the perspective of eternity through faith in Jesus Christ. We may be going through a difficult season in this moment, but we know that the season will end and what will replace it will be a life of joy and peace with God in heaven. Another characteristic of the hopeful is that they stay grounded in their faith and rooted in God's word. And that is the cornerstone for Micah. He has hope for his people 
because he knows God and has faith in him. A fourth characteristic of the hopeful is that they trust God's will and God's timing. They believe in a God who is sovereign and who is always at work. And then the final characteristic of the hopeful is this. They live fully present in the moment. It's hard in hard, hard times to be hopeful. But that's the challenge, isn't it, for us who follow Jesus Christ? It's that when the times are hard, when the clouds of darkness begin to creep in, and it begins to look like all we can see is darkness with very little light, it's hard to be hopeful. But Micah reminds us that in the midst of darkness, we still can be hopeful, regardless of my circumstances. Here's the question I ask myself. Regardless of my circumstances, will my life reflect hope because of the Savior who lives in me by His Spirit? Let me ask you another question. Will your church be a place where people discover hope who desperately need to know that there is hope for them, regardless of their circumstances? Will your church be a place where they discover hope for themselves and for their families, for their community? I have one prayer for myself and I guess for all of us as we hear these words from Micah. He says, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. And my prayer is, Lord, give me a heart like Micah. Let me be an influence of hope when the dark clouds roll in. Let's pray together. Lord, it is so easy for us to get overwhelmed when troubles assail us, when the storm winds rise, when it feels like the ground underneath us is giving way. And yet we come back to your word that reminds us that on Christ the solid rock we stand. And with Micah, we say, but as for me, I wait in hope for the Lord. Lord, when darkness assails us, lift our eyes from our circumstances to you. Let us see the hope that is ours in Christ. Let us wait for the breakthrough that only you can give. And let us be patient before you as we seek to be witness for, witnesses for you in every aspect of our lives. Lord, I pray for this congregation that it would be filled with Micahs, people of hope, 
a hope that's not pie in the sky and deluded, a hope that acknowledges the realities of the day, but yet trusts in you and believes for a better day. And Lord, we do believe for a better day. We pray for a breakthrough in our lives, with our families, in our church, in our nation, and around the world. We pray for a stirring of your spirit that draws us afresh into the depths of the love of Christ, a love that compels us to go to others with the good news of Christ, to preach the gospel. And so, Lord, here we stand today, and we say, but as for me, we will trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.